Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Okay, so uh, I want to start with a question. And the question is a question that maybe you haven't heard yet this season. You probably heard it a lot growing up, but maybe no one's asked you yet. What do you want for Christmas? All right, what do you want for Christmas? So go ahead and tell somebody around you. What do you want for Christmas? Guys, if you're taking notes, this is a great opportunity. What do you want for Christmas? All right, you got your list. Do you know what you want? What do you want? Go ahead, tell me. What do you want for Christmas? Peace. Peace. No big deal. Okay, peace. Great. What else do you want for Christmas? Joy. Okay, we're going to do this. Really? Peace, joy. Okay. What else do you want? You're like, I sat over here so that I would not get called on in class. All right. What do you guys want? A successful Christmas. Christmas, Whatever that means. You're here. It's already a success. Way to go, buddy. Okay. What else? Sleep in for Christmas. Yeah, sleep in. Spoken like a dad. Sleep in for Christmas. What else? What do you want? A new cell phone. Thank you. Who said that? Who said? There you go. All right. Did you hear? She wants a new cell phone for Christmas. Yeah, a flip phone actually is what I heard. Okay. All right. What do you guys want? What do you want for Christmas? A what? A, 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 a what house? A clean house. A clean house. Yeah. Yes. A clean house. All right. Good. Good. So uh, growing up, you were probably like me in which you spent an enormous amount of time on a Christmas list. Like uh, this shows my age a little bit, but we didn't have, you know, Amazon. We didn't have all that kind of stuff. And maybe you were like me. We had a Sears catalog. Yeah. Yeah. When that came in the mail, that was like, dude, Christmas is coming. And uh, a Toys R Us. That's the other thing. And so, yeah. So I had... I had filled those things out. I not only circled it, I would make sure that my parents didn't miss it. So I would come up with a list. Here's what I want. Here's the page number. I've circled it and the color that my preference is, okay? I mean, I had that thing dialed. Now, as you get a little bit older, what you want for Christmas, it starts to change. It's not so much about material gifts, although those are nice, uh, especially if you need a new cell phone, but it's about other things. It's about relationships. It's about experiences. They're usually a little bit more difficult to get at Christmas time. You know what I want by the end of Christmas? I want it to be over. I'm done by the end of the Christmas season. I told my, uh, I didn't even tell my wife that uh, I was talking about this this weekend, and she walked in yesterday, and, and we've had a lot uh, of events and things, and she just looks at me, she goes, I just want it to be over. I'm just done with Christmas. And I'm like, babe, hey, we still got a little bit to go here. Because at Christmas time, if you're anything like our family, you have presents to buy and then ultimately to wrap and you have to decorate the house and the tree and you've got a thousand events that you have to attend. And if you're in ministry or you're volunteering, you've got church services to go to and family to see. And it's just this never ending list. And so by the end of the Christmas season, most of us take a vacation after Christmas because we're exhausted. We're done. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, and this is what this whole series is about, is we're chasing after something during Christmas. So what are we chasing after during the Christmas season? 
It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. There is something about the Christmas season that resonates with us. It speaks to some deeper desire, whether we recognize those desires or we acknowledge them. There's something about it in which maybe for the rest of the year we ignore and we suppress those deeper desires. They start to come to the surface a little bit more. I think that's why we chase after Christmas is because there's some desire that's not being satisfied and we're more aware of it during this season than other seasons. So we have uh, countless desires as humans. Some of them are more superficial desires. And so uh, one of my desires right now is I want a 60-gallon uh, air compressor. Very important, especially for my line of work, I guess. I don't know. Um, and that's a superficial desire. But then there's these more fundamental desires, ones that hum- humans have been wrestling with for all of mankind. So there's an author. Her name's uh, Evelyn Underhill. She wrote at the turn of the century, and she says, although we have all of these different desires, we can boil them down to essentially three. We have a desire for home, for love, and for purity. And at Christmas, that's actually what we're chasing after. So let's explore these a little bit. First one is this, is love. We desire, or excuse me, home. We desire a place where we feel loved, where we're safe, we belong, and we matter. And so we may have had experiences, little glimpses of what home feels like throughout our life. So this week I had a little bit of that, is we um, set aside a time, one night this week, where we weren't going to do anything else. We didn't have any events, we didn't have anything we had to do. We turned off the TV, we didn't get distracted by our devices, and we sat around the table and we decorated gingerbread houses. I mean, all week was leading up to this. We had all the decoration, everything, and everybody had their own individual house that they could decorate. So Ezra, he's really into sports, and so mom bought him a football field gingerbread house. And then um, Sienna, she's very artistic and she's creative. She had this one that she could design. It was very ornate and it was beautiful. And then Jed, he had one that was Oreos because he was going to eat it. And so he had the Oreo one. And we just spent a couple hours just, just enjoying each other's company. There wasn't any anxiety, there wasn't any fears, even if there was things to be worried about in the world, we had forgotten about them and we just were present in that moment. And you could tell the kids felt free because they they weren't afraid of, you know, what was going to happen in the future. They kind of understood mom and dad are here and they've got everything figured out, at least they they think that they do, and, and they could be silly. You know, something that they normally can't be around their friends. They had to be cool. They got to be reserved. They got to do the right. They could just be themselves because they knew that in this home, they belonged here. They mattered. There's not going to be any judgment here that they're safe. They're secure. They just got a little bit of a glimpse just for those few moments of what it felt like to be truly at home. You can see this desire for home at Christmas in some of our favorite movies and songs. And I'm not even talking about the religious ones. I'm talking about just the secular, everybody loves these songs. There's something about home. So, for example, I'll Be Home for Christmas by Bing Crosby. Or Christmas, Baby Please Come Home by Darlene Love. Or the best Christmas movie of all time. Home Alone. Thank you. We are all in agreement. Yeah, Home Alone. Somebody came up to me after last service and went, I wasn't agreeing, I was answering. <laughs> all right, bro. <laughs> Maybe yours is the Grinch. I don't know. All right. But what we're desiring here is not just to be at home. We're desiring to feel at home in this world. 
We want to feel like we finally belong here, like this place is safe, this place is secure, this is a place in which I matter. The problem is that no matter how great your upbringing was or how much you try to create a home where people feel that way, it eludes us. We never feel quite at home, and even the moments in which we do feel at home, they don't last. So just take one of those things, safety. We feel at home when we're safe. As you look out into this world, is this world a safe and certain place? No. We spend so much money on trying to, to make our cars safer, on uh, home security systems. We make our kids wear helmets all the time, and yet it's still not a safe and secure place. It's full of uncertainty. It's full of danger. And so this is just an indication. This can't be where I truly belong because it's not a place that I feel safe. If you study the philosophers and uh, sociologists and psychologists through the ages, this is not a, a new topic. Take someone like Karl Marx. He described humanity's fundamental problem as what he called alienation. This feeling like we don't quite belong in this world. Now, his solution was communism. But I think that this desire for, for, and this longing for home is something that each of us feel. And the moments in which we do feel at home, we want to stay there forever. Like, we just want to hold on to those moments. Like, when I was with my kids, everything was right in the world, and you just want to live there. You want to stay there. But it doesn't last. Because within just a couple short hours, those kids are having meltdowns, they're arguing with one another, and it's time to go to bed. My wife, her, uh, I would say one of her favorite pastimes is she loves looking at pictures. She has all the pictures, she has even books of pictures of our kids, of vacations, of events that we've had, and she'll just scroll through them. She just loves looking at them, and she'll show me, and she'll go, do you remember when they were little like this? And I go, I remember. <laughs> And I've never told her, babe, I don't like your pictures. And the reason why I don't like your pictures is although they bring a lot of nostalgic memories and joy, it also kind of makes me sad. The reason it makes me sad is because when I look at those little cute babies and I remember our kids being that age, I also recognize that they're never going to be that age again. That's over. I can never go back to those moments, how, even how you know, they were great and I can't go back. Or, or the vacations that we've been on, the memories that we've made. When we look at them, I go, yeah, and it's over. I never get to relive that moment again. And when I see pictures of loved ones that are no longer here, I go, but they're gone. And so even the best moments in life are bittersweet. We're longing for home and yet we can't ever truly find it. Second thing is love. We desire to love and to be loved. I don't think anyone would argue that love is probably the most natural and yet profound emotion that we feel as humans. Your highest of highs and your lowest of lows are always because of love. And we see this at Christmas time as well. What's the number one Christmas song? You know what it is? Mariah Carey. Yes. Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is me. No. All I want for Christmas is you. You know what another uh, top 10 is? Last Christmas by Wham. Really? Sad. I don't know. It's a sad one. And you know what both of those have in common? They just want love for Christmas. They just want love. It's well known around here that my wife watches Hallmark Christmas movies nightly. So it's a... 
It's this contention that we have in our relationship we're working through. And one of the reasons why I don't like this, and obviously I think we all, we all know this to be true, is it's the same story over and over again. I know there's a new version, GAC or whatever, same deal. It is a main character who has to go home for some reason. They run into somebody at first that they don't really agree with that happens to be incredibly good looking. (laughs) And quickly realize that this person is my soulmate and they fall in love at Christmas. There's always this moment in those movies and, and Amy's watching them and I'm usually listening in the background where they fall in love, but then they have like either a misunderstanding or an argument, and it looks like they're going to break up, and I always t- turn to her and I go, oh, do you think they're going to make it? I'm on pins and needles. Do you think this is the end? She's like, you're an idiot. You're, you ruin it. You ruin it at all. But see, this love that we desire at Christmas, the, the desire to love and be loved It's why we give gifts. It's why we spend extra time with family. We're willing to travel long distances. We throw parties and host dinners. And also why the holidays are the most difficult when you've lost somebody that you love. Because at Christmas, this desire for love just becomes a little bit more obvious. But our deepest desire is not just for love. It's for a love that lasts. It's for a love that will never fail us. It's for a love that is generous and sacrificial, that is never ending, even in the moments in which we are unlovable and undeserving, it perseveres. That's the kind of love that we're looking for. And although your kids or your parents or your spouse or your friends, they may be great, but they will never be able to provide you that kind of love. Third one is purity. We desire for ourselves and for the world to be a better, a good place. No one looks in the mirror and goes, you're perfect. <laughs> you've done it, dude. You, you, you've made it. You're, you are the pinnacle of humanity. No, everybody goes, ugh, we've got some work to do here. And when we look out at the rest of the world, we go, what a mess. This place is a disaster. Because there's something within us that we know who we should be, and we know what the world should look like, and we also know that we are not it, and neither is the world that we're broken, that the world is broken, that there's something that needs fixed here. And at Christmas, this becomes incredibly obvious. Just look at our favorite Christmas stories. They're all stories of redemption. You got a Christmas carol. It's a story of Scrooge's redemption. He is not who he should be. And yet he turns it around. How the Grinch stole Christmas, same story. Elf, the father, abandons his son, but then he's redeemed. Santa Claus, Tim Allen's character, not only turns it all around, but he becomes Santa Claus. We love these stories of redemption because we know that we need redeemed. What does the picture-perfect Christmas look like? A white Christmas. Why do we want a white Christmas? See, I was raised right here. You know how many white Christmases I've experienced? None. There's been no white Christmases here. And yet, we have pretend snow that falls from here. We decorate in snow. We somehow have this image that, you know, we want the perfect Christmas, which is a white Christmas. Why? White has always represented purity. And the reason it's represented purity 
is because if you live in a place that has seasons, what you will see is leading up to this season, you have the leaves that change and they fall on the ground and the rain comes and it becomes muddy. And it's actually not a very pretty landscape. So a couple years ago, um, we did have a white Christmas or right after Christmas. We went up north and uh, we, we saw what... Uh, what the landscape looked like, which was it was mud, it was dirt, it was dead leaves and debris. It was nasty. Our kids were a mess. But then one morning we woke up and it started to snow. And the landscape went from this dirty, grimy, dead and debris-filled landscape to one that is covered in this white blanket, pure snow. And for a moment, you almost forget what's underneath. See, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a world and we're looking for in ourselves this place where we can forget all the grime and the dirt of life and just be pure again, be innocent, be made whole. See, at at Christmas, our desire to not just be better, but it's to be perfect. It's for ourselves to be perfect. It's for the world to be perfect. It's for us to fully live up to our expectations for ourselves and those around us. The problem is, you've never experienced a world like that. And you've never been a person like that. And no matter how hard you try to become that, it doesn't work. See, humanity's journey has been this journey of trying to improve, of progress. We see it through education and science and economics and technology. But even as we progress in those areas, we've never addressed the central problem that humanity is broken. And because we've never addressed that issue... Those things, although they may have good things, they actually end up magnifying our brokenness. So take social media, for example. If you go on social media, do you think it makes us look better or worse as humans? Have you ever been on Twitter? Have you ever read a comment section before? It hasn't made us better people. It's only shown us what really is at our core. We're broken. We're messed up. And so where do we go from here? Well, some of us would say, we need more. I think that's what most people's answer is, is as we search for answers, we just search for more and more and more. If the home isn't satisfying, we need a bigger or nicer one. If the marriage isn't satisfying us, we need a new love. If the church isn't satisfying, we'll find a new one. See, at Christmas, we just keep piling on more and more and more, more activities, more decorations, more presents, more warm fuzzies. My wife decorated our house on November 1st this year. No, don't clap for that. (laughs) November 1st. What? How are we decorating so early? Well, because we need more Christmas. We need more time. What if the answer, though, isn't more? What if more actually ends up giving us less? There's even the idea that if we could somehow have more time... Uh, at Christmas, it brings up this nostalgia. Oftentimes, it's for childhood, or maybe it's for a time in which there was somebody who was in our life that no longer is. Maybe it's just for a simpler time in the world. And so if we could just have more of that. If you went back to those times, you know what you would find? Disappointment. Because it's not at all like you remember it would be. Because no matter how hard you try to have more, if it's not the right more, it ends up being less. And so the end result is we leave this wake of destruction searching for more. Broken marriages, lost friendships, people in addiction. 
and we get to the end of this journey, we realize more didn't get me what I wanted. In fact, it left me with less. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Great Divorce. I've referenced it before. If you don't know this book, it's a fascinating book. C.S. Lewis, he imagines what hell looks like. And he does it through painting this picture. It's not a theological book. This is his imagination, but it gives us great insight into the human heart. He tells a story of a bus that goes from hell up into heaven and what these people see. But the way that he describes hell is, hell is a place in which you get whatever you want instantaneously. All you have to do is think of it. Which uh, you hear that and you go, that sounds like heaven to me. I want a Ferrari. There's a Ferrari. I want a mansion. There's my mansion. He says, no, no, no. Because what ends up happening is, as you get more, it doesn't satisfy your desire. It increases your desire. And so that more isn't enough. You need more and then more and more. And eventually you're consumed by your desire for more. And as you're accumulating more, you're actually distancing yourself from people because you have no need for them. You just need more things, more stuff, more experiences. And so the picture at the end of it is, hell is full of a bunch of people living in mansions completely isolated from one another. Because we want a bigger mansion and then a bigger mansion and a bigger mansion and we want to get away from those people and those people and further from those people and those people and we end up completely alienated from not only one another, but he paints this picture of Napoleon in a huge mansion, infinitely far away, doing laps because he's lost his mind in isolation. He says, that's what hell looks like. It's continuing to get more and more and more. Now, the cynic may respond, well, you're right. More is not the answer. We've tried more, and it has failed us. Because the answer is, life is not about more. Life is about nothing. It's meaningless. Life is hard, and then you die. So it's not about more. It's about meaningless. Unfortunately, this view has kind of taken hold in our uh, society we see this increase in what are called deaths of despair, people who have just given up in life because you're right, there is no answers, therefore there, nothing is worth, therefore there is no answer, therefore I just want it to be done. Now at this point in my sermon last night, my wife told me afterward uh, she was depressed. She said, not good so far. I said, well, this is most of what I got, babe. <laughs> I don't want you any. She says, it's like so depressing. And I said, that's kind of the point. Because what I, what I hope to get you to at this point is, is two things. One, I hope that you recognize your deep desires for what they are, for home, for love, and for purity. Although they may mask itself in different ways, that's what you truly desire. And so I hope that you see that. And the second thing is, I hope that you see that there is nothing in this world that can satisfy those desires. No matter what you do, no matter where you look, there is no satisfaction here. Because once you understand those two things, your true desires and how there's nothing that will satisfy them, you'll be much more open to hearing what Jesus has to say about it. Because Jesus comes along and he understands the human heart better than anyone in human history. And he looks at it and he says, oh, I know why you're like that. I know why you have those desires. And I know how you can satisfy those desires. And Jesus, he, he paints this picture, he tells these stories where he says, in a way that anyone can understand, a child can understand, he paints these pictures. Here's what he says. I'll just give you one of his more famous ones. It's the story of the prodigal son. Here's what he says. 
There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Jesus paints this, this picture in this story and he says, that's why you have those desires. You know that desire for home, for your true home? The reason why you desire that is because you once had it. Humanity once had that home in which they completely felt um, safe and secure, where they belonged and they mattered, but in our rebellion against God, because we said we no longer want to bow down to you, we want to be our own authorities in life, we became exiles from the home that we once belonged in. It says as a consequence of that, being kicked out, the human heart has this distant memory of the home that we once had, but we lost. And everything in us wants to get back to our true home, but we can't. He says, this is also when we lost our true love. We not only lost our home, but we lost the source, our ultimate love. In our sin, it destroyed our relationship with our heavenly father. It's why we long for love, but not just any kind of love will do. It must be a love that lasts, a love that has no end date, that has no boundaries, a love that is beyond this world because we had that love and we were created to experience that kind of love and we lost that love and purity. With this sin and rebellion came incredible amounts of shame and regret and guilt. See, all of us know that we should be better because we once were better. All of us know that the world should be different because it once was. And we all know that we have fallen short. And whether you try to convince yourself you're a good person or not, you would admit, I am not who I should be. And it's because you know who you should be. Because you once were. Us as humans, this is who we were made to be. And we desperately want to get back to this place where we're innocent, where we're pure, where we're no longer prodigals. And so he says, now here's the solution. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. See, Jesus says, this is why you desire. And here is how you're going to satisfy those desires. Come home. Come home. We're all the prodigal. We've all run away from our heavenly father. And here's what he says. Stop running and come home. 
It's not going to be through money or through wealth that you're going to find your way into this home. It's only going to be through Jesus' death and his sacrifice on the cross that those doors are open for you and I. So stop running, turn around, and come home. Because home is where you're going to find the love that you've been looking for. Your heavenly father is standing there with his arms wide open and he says, I'm just waiting. The love that will last, the love that you're longing for, it's right here. Are you willing to embrace me or not? And not only does he welcome us back, but he clothes us in righteousness. He says, I'm not going to hold it against you. Your rebellion, all that you've done, it's all forgotten. It's all forgiven because you are home. Not only am I going to not hold it against you, but I'm going to celebrate the fact that you have finally come home. You once were lost and now you are found. See, at Christmas, these deep desires start to come to the surface a little bit. What if God has placed them there in order to point you towards him, in order to point all of us towards him, is when those desires start to emerge and we start to chase other things and we realize they don't work, maybe it's an opportunity for us to go, there could be another answer to this. It's not more and it's not meaningless. Maybe, maybe there's something else. And so instead of chasing after Christmas, what if we just stopped and we received Christmas? We received his invitation to come home, we receive his healing, we receive his love and his forgiveness. What if we stop chasing and we just start receiving? See, some of us, we've been on this journey for a long time and we need these reminders. Man, I get caught up and I chase after Christmas. You're right, I need to stop and I need to receive. Some of you guys, you've never made that decision. This is the time for you to do that. But there's one more step in this process. Is once we stop chasing and we begin receiving Christmas, our responsibility is then to begin to give Christmas to those around us. I came across a conversation uh, that these two really well-known comedians were having, and neither of them are people of faith. In fact, the, the, I think they would be pretty far away from calling themselves believers. And during this conversation, it took this weird turn where one of them said to the other, you know, I just got back from a trip, and on the trip, we stopped by the Vatican. And it got me thinking, it got me thinking about my own life, and it got me thinking about the people around me. And he starts naming off all of his very famous friends, and he says, you know, all of them, although they say they don't believe in God, they have a God. He said, this person, they worship their health, uh, mental and physical health. That's what their God is. And he says, and this person over here, money, that's what their God is. And this person over here, partying and drugs, and that's what this person's God is. He says, you know, I'm beginning to think that maybe... I should start trying the real God because these are really poor substitutes for God in my life. And then he said, but I don't know how to believe. I don't know. He said, if I could talk to anyone, and he names this really well-known pastor, he says, I think I would talk to them because I don't know how to believe, but I want to believe because I know I need this. If there was a surgery that I could have where it just turned on a switch and I all of a sudden believed in God, I would have it tomorrow. And as I'm listening to them have this conversation, I'm, I st I'm in my garage, I stop, and I'm yelling into my headphones, you're so close, you're almost there, keep going. Like those desires, they're real, that intuition that you have, continue to pursue it like there is, will someone please tell him about God? And I even thought about like, maybe I should go online and I should try to, you know, send him an email. I'm like, that's a stalker, so I'm not going to do that. And then I don't, you know, and I just, oh, please, somebody, somebody just tell him. Do you think that there's people like that in our life too? 
They may not be you know, as, as expressive and as real and honest as he was in those moments with us, but do you not think that there's a lot of people in our life who feel the same way? And they're just going, man, I just wish somebody in my life could just tell me about this. Yeah, the door may not open like that, but you don't think they have those deep desires as well? See, I think there's people in our lives that are chasing after something this Christmas. And whether they recognize the chase and they recognize all the ways in which they're trying to satisfy, we know that we have the answer for them. The question is, are we willing to step up and give them Christmas? So I began with this question, what do you want for Christmas? I would end with a little different question. What are you going to give this Christmas? Yes, all the gifts are great, and the time spent amazing, but there's really only one gift that you can give that's going to last. The question is, are we willing to step up and give it or not? My prayer is that in this season, as those things begin to bubble up to the surface, we would see it as an opportunity to, pe- to point people towards our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this season. Obviously, there's a lot of theological significance to this season that you have come and that um, the invisible God has been made visible and that you have come to redeem us and to save us and all of that is amazing. But also what happens in this season is those of us who aren't quite sure what we believe or maybe even are outright hostile to this faith, we start to see that there are some desires within us, some desires that you may have put there in order to point us towards yourself. And so, Lord, if that's us, we we pray that we would just go on that journey, that we would follow those desires, and that eventually we would find their satisfaction in you. And if there's people in our lives that we know that do not know you, that you would give us an opportunity to simply point them towards you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. Please grab some invitations on your way out. Tell somebody um, and invite them to uh, one of our services. Other than that, have a great week. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.